Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. When Alan Page was a justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court, he didn't decorate his chamber with Vikings memorabilia. Instead, there was an old railroad sign on the wall that said, Colored Waiting Room. It was a constant and uncomfortable reminder of segregation in the Jim Crow South. That sign is in the private collection of the Page family, along with thousands of other objects that tell the story of Black history and culture, both the ugly and the beautiful. Justice Page and his late wife, Diane, collected pieces for decades. Many of them are hateful, an iron collar that locked slaves in bondage, a branding iron that marked human beings and someone's property. Many are inspiring, like the painting of a jazz trio and a poster of Black runners at the 1972 Olympics. It's an amazing collection, and I had a chance to see part of it as of it as a public exhibition called Testify, Americana from Slavery to Today at the Minneapolis Central Library. That was back in 2018 when the Super Bowl came to, to Minneapolis. It was so popular that the Page family is bringing the exhibition back to the library in February and in March. This hour, I'm talking with Justice Page and his daughter about that collection and how they hope it will spark conversations about America's painful racist history and how we can address it. And as I talk to them, I'm taking your phone calls too. I want to hear from you. Did you see that exhibit in 2018? What stuck with you? What did you learn? And what questions do you have for Justice Page about having difficult conversations about race? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. Let's bring in our guest now, Alan Page, here in the studio with me. Alan was a star defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings in the 1970s, and he went on to serve 22 years as a justice of the Minnesota Supreme Court. Good to see you, Justice Page. Good to be here, Angela. Thank you. Hi. And Georgie Page Smith is with us, too, on the line. And she is Alan's daughter, as well as a marketing and communications professional based in Brooklyn, New York. She's been deeply involved in bringing the Testify exhibition back to the public. But first, tell us how your art collection got started. I I know that your late wife, Diane, played a big role in this. Um, What do you remember about the beginning? Well, uh, Diane... Back in the late 80s, uh, a friend of hers stopped by one day and uh, stopped by our house and asked Diane, where was the history in, in our house representing our children? At the time, we had this highly contemporary uh, design in the home. Mm-hmm. The walls were bare. The... Um, I think the furniture was Italian. Uh, very, very contemporary. No representations of of my culture or her culture, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, no African American uh, items. No Norwegian items. And and there, the, there sits that friend. <laughs> and there sits that friend and says, "Well, what about?" Mm-hmm. You know, for your children, what about their futures and their histories, connecting them to that? And that began mm-hmm. at Diane, um, started collecting with a vengeance. You know, we talk about 
the collection being uh, mine, it's really Diane's. She is the heart and soul of it. She's the one that began it. She's the one that collected most of it. Um, I got to go along for the ride, and she had a, an incredible eye for the art and artifacts from our history. And how do you even start such a search? Is it word of mouth that you're looking for things, or, or where do you go? I think she primarily had a friend who was um, sort of somebody who... In that world, the art world, or Not or so history? much the art world as in the... Uh, I'm trying to think of the world, the, the, how, to, how to describe him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he knew how to find things. And, he knew how to find mm-hmm. find things. Up to that point for her, it was jewelry and clothing, and she was into antique clothing. Because mm-hmm. remember back then, there wasn't the internet. You couldn't go online and say, <laughs> search no, for things, right? No, uh, <laughs> But she started, you know, with an item here and an item mm-hmm. there and started going to antique shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we ended up finding things all over the country. Uh, with their one of the signs in the in the collection that will be in the exhibit is a lighted sign that says colored. It's from I believe the Montgomery bus station from Montgomery, Alabama. We found that in a uh, an antique mall in um, out in California. And so uh, it was, you know, one item at a time. There was no, at least in the beginning, no design or reason or rhyme to it all. But she would see things that struck her, Mm -hmm. that spoke to her sense of justice, that spoke to her sense of fairness or unfairness. And um, that, those, those qualities in her are what, really shows up in the the artifacts that we have. And so, Justice Page, how do you go from collecting these items for your home um, so that your children have an opportunity to know their history, know their culture, to, you know, you know, I can imagine having them on the walls and maybe some of them are on display or even, you know, maybe valuable things boxed up in your home, but then making it public? Like, wh- why, why did you want to make it available for all of us, strangers, to see? Well, uh, let me begin, be, be clear. As I noted, when we started, our walls were bare. <laughs> the walls are now, you can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's would, covered, there, huh? <laughs> there, would, there would be days I would come home and look at a wall or look look around the, a room and see something that I'd never been never seen before, and it had been there for a while. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how many things there are. Why open it up to the public? Because we live at a time uh, when social justice, racial justice, is at the forefront. At a time when we're sort of backsliding and at a time when I think we need to be reminded that with all the progress that we've made, with all the uh, change that has happened since uh, that colored sign hung in the bus station in Montgomery, Alabama, that 
we can't go back. But there are those who want us to go back, who are trying to actively take us back to where we've where we've been. And we thought it was important for people to understand and to see where we've come from. Because we know if we don't know our history, we tend to repeat our history. E- exactly. And um, we're sort of heading down that road. All right, let's bring uh, your daughter Georgie into the conversation. We've reconnected with her in New York. And Georgie, I want to know, uh, as a, a teenager living with your dad and your stepmom, Diane, what did you think when you first noticed some of these pieces coming into your house? Well, um, hello, Angela. Hi, Hi Dad. I was, I was not pleased. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, I was uncomfortable. Um, I think the pieces are, des- you know, they are uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, but then it's important to go beyond that. And it just, it took me a while to get there, um, to see that as part of my, my context, an important part of my context, and an important part of our story. And describe, you know, your dad described like what, how, as the collection grew, what, what, the, what the family home looked like. Do you remember it just, you know, coming home from school, like, there's something else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's right. We had a very sort of open floor plan, modern home. Um, I loved it, you know, bright and airy, kind of, you know, um, very contemporary. And then at some point, little things started appearing, um, little, you know, figurines and tchotchkes. And, and that's kind of how I viewed it then, right? There's, there's always another layer to the story, always another dimension, and um, I wasn't seeing it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't open to it at that point. I wasn't I didn't want to be part of that conversation. You know, I was I, I was just thinking about it. I, you know, I was done with the conversation, but I didn't know that the conversation wasn't done with me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's taken me and I, I still discover things about pieces in the collection that surprise me, that are, are revelatory, that, you know, ground me Um and so Georgie, that, yeah, I have in my journey. I have in my notes uh, that there is a, a a cookie jar of uh, that is distinctive uh, a Rosa Parks cookie jar. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, this is I think one of the early pieces that appeared, and there was also one of Josephine Baker, um, and it's an image of it's a sculpture of Rosa Parks with her signature hat on and her glasses, um, and then on the back it has um, an impression of a bus. Um, and it's, you know, depicting that moment in history um, when she refused to get up um, and, you know, sparked sparked a lot of, you know, reflection and change in that part of the country. Um, and so that was that was kind of one of the earliest pieces. A lot of people are familiar with that moment. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the, the first the first things that appeared um, there. Were, but there were also like Sambo, you know, <laughs> images and. Um, some of those novelty items. Um, and that, that kind of confused the conversation for me a little bit. So I'm imagining you having friends over um, to your home. And so then you're in a situation where you're explaining what's there. Or maybe they're asking questions. What do you remember about the conversations that you were having with your parents about, you know, w- why are these things in our house? And, and what w- how were they explaining to you why it was important? And they were bringing them there for you and your siblings to see and, and, and to know about the history of America. Um, you know, it, it was kind of what we've talked about here that, um, you know, I had friends that come over that, that came over that were part of the transformation that saw the transformation happen. And 
I will, you know, I'll just be honest. It, it wasn't something I wanted to talk about at that time. And um, my parents continually reinforced, this is part of our history. Um, it's, an imp- it's an important part of our history. It's uh, a conversation that you will be part of, whether you want to or not. Um, and then, you know, as the years went by, just seeing sort of the inspiration that it provided for my parents and their, you know, their, com- their commitment to this social justice cause has been unflagging. And it's not always easy. It's not always something that you want to do. Um, but these items were an object or a reminder of something that we have to do. So, Georgie, uh, I, I mentioned in the introduction that you are working on the marketing for the return of the exhibit to the uh, Central Library in downtown Minneapolis in February and March. Tell our listeners again, like, uh, what is coming and how they can see it and, 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 and you know, like, what, what it will look like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very similar to the exhibit that we did in 2018. And in fact, it's it's almost identical. Um, there might be one or two pieces that are rearranged. Um, and there's, there have been some discoveries since then. But but basically, you um, the Cardinal Gallery at Minneapolis Central Library is the perfect location for this. It's very accessible. And it's free. Um, everyone, it's free to view, right? Isn't it free? Abs- absolutely free. Um, and we, you know, it's very accessible. It's We decided to put it there for that reason. We wanted it to feel very open to the public. Um, it's a, um, you enter the gallery and you'll see a greeting from our family and then you'll see the White House brick. Um, and this is a brick that was made by enslaved people, uh, as part of the construction of the White House. Um, much of, many of the public buildings in Washington, D.C. were constructed using, um, I don't say slave labor, I say the labor of enslaved people. Mm-hmm. That was another discovery uh, in working on the exhibit. But so you'll see this brick as sort of a fundamental piece of our country and the story. And then you'll come in and you'll see um, the Lincoln banner. Um, my dad can talk more about the Lincoln banner and how uh, he and my stepmother discovered that. And then at some point, you'll come to a wall. And the wall has a Jim Crow era sign on it that says, um, you know, whites to the left colored to the right. And we decided to create that moment to sort of, you know, give people that opportunity to experience that moment of, of segregation and separation. Um, and then, you know, as it continues, there's a section devoted to labor, there's a section devoted to home. And there's, you know, objects of oppression, but there are objects of expression. And I, I borrowed that phrase from my dad. Um, but yeah, there's as many as many pieces as there are that are you know hurtful and ugly. There are some beautiful pieces that show our resilience as well. Georgie, I'm going to pause you there. Uh, I'm looking at your father's facial expression. Proud of her. See, you did the right thing, didn't you? Right? Look how she turned out. She turned out really <laughs> well. Very, very proud of her. So, uh, tell me about the Lincoln banner. I, I imagine we're talking about. Uh, former President Abraham Lincoln. Yes. What is that? It's a banner um, fabric that on one side, I'm trying to think of its dimensions, maybe two and a half feet wide by three, roughly three feet tall on a pole with a 
uh, what do you call it, a pig lamp, pig oil lamp on top. Pig, pig iron. And I have in my notes, it was a, it, it's from the funeral. The well, Abraham Lincoln funeral banner? It, it was. From 1865? We, we've, we've since discovered that it may have, it, we were told that it was from the funeral in 1865. Mm-hmm. It may have been from 1864 as part of the, um, his campaign for re-election. Wow. More likely than not, I would suspect it was wow. used for both. Mm-hmm. But you have this object from eighteen the eighteen sixties. On one side, it says, um, "Uncle Abe, we will not forget you," and on the other side, it says, "Our country shall be one country." And uh, that saying, "Our country shall be one country," for me. Uh, sets out the hope that there was at the time of the Civil War. It's the hope that we haven't fulfilled today. We're still trying to get there. We're still trying to get there. But this object is from that time period. And um, it's when when you are in its presence, it is palpable. You can feel the 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 air from which it comes change and hope a change and hope I'm talking with retired Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Alan Page and his daughter Georgie about an amazing art exhibition from their private family collection that is going public once again. It is returning in February. We'll be able to see it in February and March at the Central Library in downtown Minneapolis. And we want to hear from you to our listeners. Uh, did you see it in 2018 when the Super Bowl was here in Minneapolis? What stuck with you? What did you learn? What questions do you have for Justice Page about having difficult conversations about race. He's given me some advice. The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800-242-2828. I want to go back to uh, your days as a Supreme Court justice. Uh, I've heard this story from a lot of people who were able to visit your office, your chambers, um, and, and something that you had in, in that office, uh, you and Diane collected a lot of signs from the uh, Jim Crow era of segregation. And there's a restroom sign with one arrow pointing to white and another arrow pointing the opposite direction to colored um, signs, uh, you know, from segregated waiting rooms and segregated yes. railroad cars. Um, and then there's another one from the Lone Star Restaurant Association in Dallas that says no dogs, Negroes, Mexicans. You had one of these signs up in your chambers when you were on the Minnesota Supreme Court. And why? Why did you want people to see that when they came in to talk Actually, to you? I had a number of them there. We also have a, had a, a, a picture, just a fantastic picture of a, of a scene from the entrance of a bus looking back to the, to the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. You could see where the white people were allowed to sit. And where the African Americans were required to sit, and the seeing the the real people in those circumstances was made it clear to me that life, and quite frankly, the law has not always been fair. And having the picture, having those signs there, 
was they were there for me as a constant reminder that my obligation to serve on the court was to ensure fairness for everyone, not just for some. And so for me, they were a daily reminder that I was there to do as best I could to do justice and to ensure justice and to ensure that um, everyone, no matter who they were, no matter what their circumstances, no matter the color of their skin, their gender, their preferences, their um, uh, where, what part of the state they came from, everyone was entitled to a just result. And so um, it was, it was th- they were there for me as a reminder, and also, I guess, as a reminder that to those who visited who my stepped chambers. stepped in, like know where you are. This is about <laughs> know justice. Know who, who you are, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Georgie, um, I saw the uh, exhibition um, when I was a television reporter back in 2018, reported on it. It was powerful. I took a selfie with an Angela Davis poster, the civil rights yeah. leader. What was the response uh, to the collection of artwork and these historical artifacts um, from people who walked through back in 2018? Uh, tell us about some of the reactions that people had that you remember. Angela, it was overwhelming. Like we had no idea how uh, what, how great the response would be, how many people would turn out. It was a record-breaking success for the Cargill Gallery. But more than that, people were moved. And uh, we had a book that we set up on uh, my dad's standing desk. Um, it was made by um, a Hasidic bookbinder in New York. And we, you know, opened the pages of that for people to write their reflections. And we got so many great stories back from individuals, um, just sharing their individual stories and journeys and responses. And it was very moving. Um, Some of those ended up um, online. My stepmom was watching it every day and posting, you know, all of these different responses. But also, you know, as we watched people go through the exhibit, we saw a lot of people just shaking their heads just, you know, in disbelief. And we've heard about these things in our history books, um, in school, but it's a much different thing to actually be in the room and be in the presence of, you know, a a shackle that was actually placed around a child's neck. Um, And so those are some of the most uh, powerful responses is we have a vitrine that um, juxtaposes some of those um, shackles with like a KKK plate or a very fancy Italian candelabra of a, a bl- what they called a blackamoor. And you just see the obscenity and the, you know, that contrast between something so brutal and ugly and the sort of obscene luxury that was obtained as a result. And um, it's just, it's kind of revolting and ugly at the same time as it's, um, it's got this sort of glossy veneer of, of um, beauty. And uh, so that's one of our most powerful uh, displays inspired by Fred Wilson, um, the, uh, the, the famous sort of curator and artist. And it sounds like uh, there are a lot of pieces in, the, in this collection that have, you know, drawn a very, you know, a lot of emotion from you. Um, and, you know, are, are there some that really stand out to you that maybe actually made you cry when you when you first encountered them as a, a teenager? And even now, as you've been working on 
on making the exhibition available to the public. Yeah, and I, you know, I think when I um, spoke to you earlier, I had mentioned there's a one of our cases we have. It's called branding, and we show a lot of the commercial exploitation of the African American image. So, you know, the classic sort of mammy figure, and you know, young young boys eating watermelon with big smiles on their faces, and and then into that case uh, where we talk about branding, we have a branding iron. So it's sort of to create that that dissonance a little bit of, you know, you see these images of people, you know, looking happy and they're kind of being exploited for their image. And um, uh, and then at the same time, you're realizing the reality of that that they lived in was that they were, you know, their, their skin was sort of burnt um, and they were they were made into property. And um I think it's relevant. You see a lot of African-American imagery um, in advertising and um, in popular culture. But what's really happening? Like who is really sort of um, who owns those products? Um, You know, how are our images being used Um, and what is it saying about us? And Justice Page, do you recall uh, when this um, exhibit was was public back in 2018. Yes. Uh, people getting back to you after they saw it uh, and saying it started something. It started them researching more. They wanted to know, you know, more about something they'd seen, or it started conversations. Well, part of our hope in uh, doing the exhibit back in two, 2018 was to generate that conversation and to uh, move people to action and. From almost the very beginning, um, on the days that Diane were down in uh, in the gallery, people would come up and talk about their memories to the extent that they had them. Uh, the fact that for a lot of people um, who were grew up, who grew up in Minnesota, they had heard about many of these things but never experienced it, and um, having found themselves in the room with objects from that era, it gave them a, a, a new understanding and gave them the, the sense that um, they had a role to play in bringing about change. And, you know, Georgie mentioned the book on the uh, on my desk. Mm-hmm. The, the, the name of the exhibit is Testify. And this was a place that people could testify. And that was really the start of the conversation. Those people talking about and testifying about their senses in real time as they were viewing the exhibit. Mm. And Georgie, what can you tell us about the the name of the exhibit, uh, why Testify was chosen as the appropriate name? Yeah, well, it, you know, originally the exhibit had a different location and it was planned for a different location. And I was brought into, you know, the conversation about the planning of it. And um, I, you know, they were still kind of looking for a name and I suggested different things. You know, the past is present. We bounced some things around. But then at one point, um, I had been listening to the song Testify by Common, and um, that 
just that word really stuck in my head. And as we developed, you know, the the thoughts about the exhibit, I just said, testify. We should call it testify because, um, you know, both of my, my dad's um, time on the court as a Supreme Court justice, mm. but also just thinking about the, the black church. And, you know, I've mm-hmm. been lucky enough to attend the church over the course of years and from time to time, different churches. And you see and feel the power of someone testifying and telling their story and how they came through. And so I thought that the resonance of that word was really powerful, but I also thought it was a way to invite people, just everyone into the conversation, um, everyone's um, story, um, or actually people's responses and, and stories are we're kind of trying to elicit that and try to, to bring people into the conversation. Uh, this is a great point for us to bring a listener into the conversation, uh, Georgie. Again, we're talking with retired Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Alan Page and his daughter, Georgie, about an amazing art exhibition from their private family collection that is uh, returning to Minneapolis after first debuting in 2018. Uh, we'll, it's coming back in February and in March. You'll be able to go to the Central Library in downtown Minneapolis and see this for free. And uh, taking your phone calls about it, if you saw it in 2018, or if you have a question about it now, call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. On the phone right now in Woodbury, Brenda is on the line. Brenda, thank you for waiting. And what do you want to share with us? Good morning, and thank you. Um, I was at the 2018 showing, and it was the, I couldn't believe some of the pieces that there was. It really showed the brutality and the inhumanity. That and just I and I look forward to going through the exhibit again, so I can see other parts that may be that hope. But it was it was um, horrific and shocking, and, isn't it? Sometimes just yes. to be that in, that close to something. Yes, and I'm so grateful that there is a collection for us to see. And um, I've been raising three grandsons who are reaching young adulthood who are black, and I would love this next time to be able to take them to see it. As an education experience, or why do you want them to see it, Brenda? Well, I believe there's a very good chance that there was slavery in their history. Um, we haven't found a way to find that out yet, but their ancestors. I just am really wondering from, yep, mm-hmm. they were, you know, the family came from the South and um, I'm just think, wondering how they, how they got there. All right, Brenda and Woodbury. Thank you, Brenda, for calling in. Uh, Brenda's going back and bringing her grandsons, Justice Page. How does that make you feel? You know, this is what it's all about. It's, we thought back in 2018, and we think now that it is important for people to see and understand what the world that we derive from. And um, I, I look forward to hopefully uh, 
Brenda and the three grandsons <laughs> will be there when I'm there sometime. I imagine you'll be standing there. You're going to be there. I'm, I'm obviously not every day, but I imagine people won't get a chance to meet. You. I, I will. <laughs> I will be there on occasion. Yes. <laughs> Taking your phone calls. I want to know: Did you go see this amazing exhibition of art in 2018 during the Super Bowl when it was here in Minneapolis? And what stuck with you? What did you learn? What questions do you have for Justice Page, uh, particularly about having difficult conversations about race? Call us at six five one two two seven six thousand, or you can call eight hundred two. Or um, and so let's uh, talk about the next thing, the new thing, because there's a new thing coming, uh, Georgie. Uh, this time, you guys are planning a series of community events with the exhibition uh, to, quote, help bridge divides, deepen dialogue and encourage action on justice. Tell me about what you have planned with Testify. Well, we're calling it Testify Tuesdays, Angela, and it's a series of workshops in partnership with, um, there's a local uh, group called Change Narrative, um, Josna Harris. She's uh, an amazing facilitator um, who has worked on a national level, um, and we've brought her on board along with the ACLU of Minnesota and the Loft um, Literary Center, and they're going to be facilitating these workshops every week. Um, Seven out of the eight weeks will be at the library. One of the weeks will be virtual because there was a scheduling conflict. But these will be workshops to um, coach people and support people in developing their stories in the service of advocacy. So for whatever um, purpose or initiative or cause that they feel is um, important or relevant to them, we want to help them um, develop their voice and tell their story. Uh, to elected officials um, and, you know, or maybe they just want to post it on social media. That'll be their option. But we want to help them um, use their voice and share their story. So it's called Testify Tuesday. And again, you're, you're in some ways really trying to help people guide them uh, or teach them how to lead conversations and again, how to tell their own story, but how to facilitate conversations that include others. But yeah, no, there, so there will be a group there that's facilitating the workshop. Um, and then every individual who participates in the workshop, um, they'll be given maybe some prompts, right? Like they might say, I'm really concerned about disability rights. Um, and then the um, workshop facilitators will help them come up with some prompts mm. that might, you know, tell your story of self. What is your experience with disability? Have you ever had an experience where you felt like you, you couldn't access a service um, that you felt you needed um, because of a disability? Uh, and then... So tell your story of self. This was something that the Obama campaign used very effectively. Tell your story of self. What, what happened to you? Um, what were your feelings about it? And then um, maybe share wh- how might we address this? Um, uh, how might your elected officials address this? Um, you know, we want people to feel, you know, break down the barrier to speaking to your elected officials. These are our employees, right? Mm-hmm. We, that's what I feel. <laughs> uh, we, we pay their salaries. Um, so they need to sort of hear what their job description should be um, from us. And Justice Page, how do you describe Testify Tuesday and what you're trying to do by um, helping people learn how to how to tell their stories and be heard? Well, at the end of the day, it's giving people voice to testify. If you think about it, it's giving people the opportunity to um, express themselves. You know, in the, in the courtroom, you come in, you you're sworn in, 
and you tell your story. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing, only uh, it teaches people or it helps people learn how to tell their story in whatever context they want to tell it. And one thing we should be very clear, there is no particular agenda to this. It is about teaching people how to present themselves. The, 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 The subject matter is individual. We don't Find your voice and use it. Find your voice and use it, whatever it is, wherever it is, however it is. Right. And this, again, is over that two-month period on a Tuesday, yes. right? Yes. Um, I want to take another phone call. We've got listeners calling in uh, who want to share something with us. In St. Louis Park, we've got Terry on the line. And Terry, what do you want to tell us as we talk about this uh, exhibition of uh, artifacts, uh, historical artifacts and artwork? Well, first of all, I was, and my whole family was raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So during that period, we weren't aware of what was happening. But then my dad got a transfer down to Southern Virginia with a job transfer, and we lived down in Southern Virginia for about a year's time. And when my grandma came down to visit, uh, she was to take me back home on the train because I think after a year's time, we're ready to move back to uh, Milwaukee. But while sitting in the train station with my grandma, I was only three years old, but I still vividly remember a lit-up sign above a doorway of a separate room. And I kept asking my grandma, because, you know, at age three, you don't know how to read, (laughs) what's that word say? What's that word say? And she kept trying to avoid it, and she finally just yelled out, it just says colored. And I said, well, what's colored? Because, you know, being three years old, do you think colored means do you take your crayons and Mm -hmm. color something? You know, I was so innocent. But then when she said, now, hush, hush, just hush, hush, hush. I don't think she wanted to tell me the real reason at that young age, which I'm glad she didn't. But it was probably the same lit up sign with neon tubes that your person there is going to have on display, something like that, because it was a railroad station. And it was a pretty good-sized town. It was a town of about 100,000 population. But that was the only real remembrance I have, because this was about 1956. So, Terry, what uh, I, I'm guessing... must have been like when I got older and realized what that sign meant. Later yeah, I, I was going to ask you, when did you realize what that memory, what was really going on there? Was it when you were in school and you were learning about the history? When I was in the second grade, our weekly reader mm-hmm. had a story about these people that I thought were dressed up like ghosts. And why do people dress up like ghosts? Well, that's when they were a story about the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And this was in 1962. Mm-hmm. So uh, I then started understanding a little more that you know, mm-hmm. why people in the South were so hated black people, you know, so much. Whereas in Milwaukee, I didn't even think about there was anything wrong. In fact, I almost kind of wished I looked a little different like they did. Because I was like, again, so sweet and innocent. Well, Terry, I, I want to take a moment to, to talk about the story. Thank you so much for calling and sharing that story. Uh, Terry remembers he was three, Grandma saw a sign. Grandma didn't want to talk about it. He says she said, hush, 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 hush. What do you take from that? Well, you know, 
there is a stigma to all this stuff, all these objects, particularly the the ones that are uh, the negative ones. And that stigma um, is there, was there then, is still there now. But I should point out that, you know, the purpose of our exhibit is not to stigmatize. Or to shame. Or to shame. The purpose is for people to understand our history. To educate. So, well, Mm -hmm. educate for a purpose so we can make progress for the future. This is not, I mean, we look to the past so we can navigate the future and understand. Or Uh, else we're stuck. Or at, at... we are stuck. Mm-hmm. That 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 is. A lot of people won't want to see this. They don't even like hearing about this exhibit coming. And, and you know, if we're going to ever get over the um, issues of race that we face, we have to, as unpleasant as it may be, and as difficult as it may be, we have to confront the past. And understand its role in where we are today. Georgie, what are your thoughts about sitting with the discomfort of the past and the purpose of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I I sort of agree that if, if you want to navigate your way out of it, you have to know where it is, right? And so I think um, people who just, you know, I understand the grandmother who wants to protect the grandson, you know, and say, just hush, we don't want to talk about that. Um, but, you know, as you, as you develop, uh, uh, and evolve, like you have to be able to, uh, to look at it, um, and, uh, get past the discomfort. Um, if you can't get, you can't get past the discomfort if you don't acknowledge it, you know? So I think that's a necessary phase or stage of it, but then yes, you have to go beyond it. Let's take another phone call. Uh, in Duluth, we have Carol calling in. Hi, Carol. Good morning. Thank you. What did you want to tell us? Well, I wanted to thank the justice and his daughter for sharing this with uh, people in Minnesota. I think that's great. I'd love to see it, but I'm in Duluth. So my point is, I wonder if they can give any thought to at some point uh, bringing this out to other parts of the state, maybe more rural areas. I think it would be great for school kids to uh, have the opportunity, as the Justice pointed out, I think seeing some of those things for real just bring, must bring it home much better than, uh, than as we've learned about in school and wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, just really makes it real. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. That's Carol and Duluth. Uh, any plans to go to additional locations? I know you've gotten this request before. Justice. I, I was going to let Georgie talk about <laughs> Georgie? our our, our sure. partnership. Oh, okay, Georgie. With, with libraries. All right. What 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 could we see uh, in the months or years ahead, Georgie? Well, this is. Uh, I'm so glad that Carol asked this question because we are actually um, expanding this time around. Uh, we didn't want to just you know replicate exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. So we um, had some great conversations with um, the Minnesota Library Association. Um, My dad addressed that group, and they expressed interest in participating, doing something with Testify. And so we've developed actually kind of like a pop-up version of the exhibit 
with a selection of really um, beautiful, it's hard to say beautiful, right? But they're, they're hyper real, high resolution images of selections from the exhibit, maybe 15 or so. It depends on the location. But it's going to be presented at the St. Cloud, um, the main St. Cloud Library. Mm-hmm. And then um, within that regional library system, they're going to travel it around. Um, and it's actually available. So um, to Carolyn Duluth, uh, if you've got a, a good library there or a, a library that you go to, mention it to them. Maybe ask them about it. And if they get in touch through the um, Minnesota Library Association, uh, hopefully there's going to be someone there or they can reach out through the website. And um, maybe we can bring uh, this sort of pop-up version of the exhibit to uh, to you. We, we want it to be throughout the state. We want people to have a chance to look, on, look at it and reflect and... Um, it's actually, we've made it so that it's very easy to implement, and there will be some audio narration along with that, too. Um, and I just want to also give a shout-out to the amazing photographer we worked with, Josh Grubbs, took time just before the holidays and shot these these um, pieces just so amazingly um, so that people will have, it'll, it'll be a slightly different experience, but very powerful. Mm-hmm. And just as we just in our, our remaining minute here, uh, to, to folks who are, you know, thinking about going, but I don't know, this could be like uncomfortable. Uh, what would you say to someone who maybe is not feeling fully appreciative of, of having uh, this on display? I would say that, if, as I suggested before, if we are going to solve the problems of the present, we have to deal and address some of the facts of the past. You think about, you know, 2018, um, that was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That was before George, George Floyd. That was before um, some of the turmoil that we, before Charleston, uh, some of the other turmoil that we've seen. And... Um, so if there was interest and growing then, there's an opportunity for even more now. There's right. far more opportunity to, uh, or far more reason yes. to mm-hmm. be engaged now. Our time is up. But again, I want to let people know, uh, again, that the Page Family's private art exhibition, a selection, will be open to the public to view again in February and March in downtown Minneapolis at the Central Library there on Hennepin Avenue. It's called Testify, and it is free to see. I want to thank our guests this hour, retired Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Alan Page and his daughter Georgie Page Smith. Thank you to you both. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, Angela. This conversation was produced by Maya Backstrom. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.